I've given today's message the title Super Conquerors Through Christ. Uh, because in the Greek, uh, I mean, in our Bibles, it says um, we are more than conquerors. In the Greek, though, it's, it's actually one word. It's hyper nikomen, hyper meaning super, nikomen meaning conquerors. So that's actually what it says. We are super conquerors in Christ. In 2 Corinthians, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And some of us may have never really grasped the significance of this concept, that in our weakness, God's power is demonstrated in all of its completeness. If you long to experience God's power in your life, then don't limit yourself to what you can handle without him. Um, because it's only when we, when we start taking on stuff that, that we can't do ourselves, it's only then that God's power really kicks in. Something that I've learned from the Bible study, experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God, which the ladies are doing at the moment, Robin just mentioned it, um, is that when I feel that God might have given me assignment, if God's asking me to do something for him, well, if I reckon I can achieve it, if I reckon I can do it, well, it's probably not God who's giving me that assignment. Because when God asks us to do something, when God gives us an assignment, God is in the habit of giving us God-sized assignments, not Michael-sized assignments. So um, what we have to do is we have to step out in faith and begin to experience God as he does his work through us. It is in our weakness that we begin to experience God's power, not in our strength. But a lot of us just don't get that. And we think, yeah, I'm willing to serve God and this is what I can do. Uh, Robin at the moment is in the process of putting together a bit of a bit of a roster and asking for people who might volunteer to do go and do on children's stories and lead worship and things like this. Now, we might often be in the habit of going, oh, no, I'd be far too embarrassed to do children's stories or I'm way too inadequate to do that or, oh, no, no, I, I can't speak in front of people. I wouldn't be able to do prayers for others. Well, I just want you to consider, instead of thinking what you can do, why don't you ask the Lord what he's asking you to do and, and see what the Lord might do through you. Sometimes we Christians and ministers, us ministers, we're probably the worst at it. We, we um, often encourage people to get out of their comfort zone, right? We, we've all, we all know that phrase, don't we? Get out of your comfort zone. I'd actually like to recoin that phrase because I reckon as Christians, we need to get into our comfort zone. As Christians, we need to get into our comfort zone because what greater comfort is there than stepping out in faith, knowing that God is right there with us and his power is going to be made complete in our weakness. When you're a Christian, the comfort zone is right there. When we go beyond what we can do, when we're put in a position so that we are, things are going, it's beyond what we can bear. And that's where God's power kicks in. And there's the comfort. That's the comfort zone right there. When the Lord is with us in all of his power and all of his might. So, being a super conqueror through Christ. 
It's probably about a decade ago that I truly began to grasp what this means. You see, even though I'd, I'd consider, like I've been a Christian virtually all, my whole life. I've been brought up in a Christian family and I, I've just known God my whole life. Even so, I was still very much a product of the world in which I lived. And to me, this was my idea of a conqueror. I sort of thought of a conqueror as, well, the conqueror is the strong one. The conqueror is the one who wins the fight. The conqueror is the one who always comes out on top. He's the victor over the vanquished. And, of course, the conqueror enjoys the victor's spoils. And so my picture of a conqueror was a person of strength, and resources, somebody who gets what he wants, isn't burdened by suffering and never goes without. But it was about a decade ago as I read the book of Revelation. And I'd read it earlier, I'd read it a number of times. But I was in the section where Jesus dictates a letter to seven churches. And to each of those seven churches, Jesus exhorted them to be conquerors or to be overcomers. It's the same word in in the Greek. And he promised them that anyone who is a conqueror, anyone who is an overcomer would receive heavenly rewards. But what did being a conqueror entail? Let me read you a little bit of the letter to the church at Smyrna. Coming from Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Now, that doesn't sound much like a conqueror. They're going to suffer and be thrown into prison. Goes on, that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Conquerors suffering and and, and going through tribulation troubles It goes on, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Dying, conquerors don't die. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And I realised then as I continued to read those seven letters that for a Christian to be a conqueror, For a Christian to be someone who overcomes means to be someone who endures in their faith. It means to keep on going. It means to continue in the faith. It means to never pull back. It means to follow Jesus on whatever path that he's taking us on, even unto death. That's what it means for a Christian to be a conqueror. And that is so different to what I'd heard in so many churches. Because in so many churches, they've been telling me, if you're a conqueror, then you won't suffer this disease. If you're a conqueror, you'll get better. If you're a conqueror, then then you're not going to be in poverty. And unless we understand this, that, that a conqueror in Christ is someone who endures. Unless we understand this, we're never going to understand the New Testament church. We're never going to understand what makes them tick. We certainly won't understand today's reading and what it means to be a super conqueror. In Romans chapter 8, we've been learning what it means to live according to the spirit as opposed to living according to the flesh. And the temptation is always there, even for Christians, to go back to living according to the flesh. You see, the flesh 
craves what seems good to the flesh. And what seems good to the flesh? Health, wealth, a long, easygoing life, the path of least resistance. Whereas the spirit craves to follow Christ and to be obedient to our heavenly father, no matter what the cost is. To be a super conqueror in Christ doesn't mean that we'll never have suffering in the flesh. But through that suffering, we will endure. We never give up. We never lose heart. We always trust in God. We continue to witness to the glory of God. That's what it means to be a super conqueror. To be a super conqueror in Christ doesn't mean that we're self-confident. We probably all have those people... um, who we know as or we might describe as being super Christians. You know, they're the kinds of people who they always know the right thing to do. Uh, they always know the right thing to say. Uh, they, they ooze self-confidence and they are supremely confident in their abilities and everything in their life, they just always seem to come out on top. And, and sometimes we begin to compare ourselves to some of them. And I know about you, but when I do that, I feel like a loser. Anyone here feel like a loser when they compare themselves to those people we picture as super Christians? Good, we're a church full of losers. I'm I'm not um, on my own. But we're not losers. Because when we're about to lose, when we're in that position of loss, that's where the power of God kicks in. You may not be the image of what you picture to be a super Christian. But when we trust in Christ and when we endure, we become more than a conqueror. We become, you ready for it? Super conquerors in Christ. Don't forget that. That's the important part. We are super conquerors in Christ. Not on our own, in Christ. Let me explain. It begins with faith. Uh, Today's reading began with the word likewise. Now, that means it's obviously tied to what we learned last week. Now, what did we learn about last week? We learned about faith and patience as we wait for glory. We wait for what we do not see. Glory is coming. We are heirs of that glory and we wait in faith and patience. And now Paul is saying likewise. Just like how in faith we are patiently waiting for what we do not see, we wait for the Lord to bring glory. Just like that, even now, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Sometimes we are so incapable of helping ourselves, we don't even know what to pray for. Do you ever find yourself when you're in the position you just don't know what to pray? We don't always know what God's will is in every given situation. I actually get tired of those who claim that we always know what to pray for because we don't. It's the height of human arrogance for us to presume that we always know the will of God or to think that my will is obviously God's will. 
In Isaiah, the Lord said, my ways are higher than your ways. He said, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And in today's reading, we're told that we don't always know what to pray because we don't know what God's will is. And so whenever we do pray, we should always pray in the attitude of, if this is your will, because God, you are king, you are sovereign, and sometimes my will will be different to your will. But sometimes we are at a loss. We just don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. Oh, we can always come up with a great list of things for ourselves to pray for, of the things that we want. And often that list will be overwhelmed by the things that the flesh is craving for. But what if that's not what God wants? Let me tell you, if I if all my prayers were answered, um, if I got what I wanted, I wouldn't be your preacher here today. I'd still be on the farm at Gundawindi. That's where I'd be. Because I just can't tell you the number of times back when mum and dad first announced us on the farm, just the number of times I prayed, Lord, help me to somehow be able to buy them out. And then when I realised that wasn't possible, then, well, Lord, help me to get another little farm and, and, and build back up again. And I just prayed over and over again over the years. But you see, the Lord never answered that prayer. And you know why? It was because I wasn't praying as I ought. I wasn't praying according to God's will. I I was asking for what I wanted. And it wasn't God's will for me to be a farmer. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's times when we don't know what to pray. And in those times, there's essentially two ways to proceed. To proceed. There's the human way and there's the God way. Sometimes we don't want to admit that we know what to pray for. We don't know what to pray for. And so we end up stringing together a whole lot of religious sounding cliches and platitudes. And, and we fill the silence with stuff. Stuff that's not really in our hearts. We're not really praying from our hearts, but we just want to sound in our prayers, well, this is so that it sounds like it might be a godly prayer, even though I don't know what to pray. And you know what? In doing that, we've become just like the Pharisees because that's the way they prayed, just putting together many words and, and Jesus criticised them for it. But the other way, when we don't know what to pray, the other way to pray is, Just be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, right now, I don't know what to pray. And pour out your heart to him. Lord, this is what's going on. This is, this is what I'm feeling. Lord, I don't know what to pray because I don't know what your will is. I know what I want to happen, but I don't know if that's what you want. And then just spend some time in the arms of your heavenly father. And your words will stop. But the prayer keeps going. As we just submit our hearts to God, God searches our hearts. The Holy Spirit who knows the heart and who knows God's will takes over 
And he does the praying for us. And sometimes the Lord will show you this is what you need to pray for. I know I've been in that position a number of times when, particularly if I'm in a prayer group and, and there's a need that we need to be praying for, but I just don't know how I should be praying. Well, I just stop and I just say, Lord, please show me what you want me to pray. And then I just stop and wait. And usually it's not long until just a word or two, maybe a phrase comes to mind and, and it just gives me direction and, and then I know how to pray. Um, some of you might have the spiritual, spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, of speaking in other languages, and you might find yourself praying in tongues. This is the Holy Spirit interceding on your behalf. Or, if you're like me and you don't have that gift, well, the Spirit still prays on our behalf in, in groanings that we will never hear. And often we won't know what the Holy Spirit has prayed on our behalf. But we know that God's will will be done. And no matter what the outcome, we are safe in his hands. Verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now that doesn't mean that we're always going to get what we want. It doesn't mean that we'll always be cured of every disease. It doesn't mean that all of our troubles are going to evaporate. It doesn't mean that we'll even survive in this physical life. But in faith, we know that what God is doing in us and to us and through us will work for good, his good. Because each one of us is called for a purpose. And our purpose is tied up with the good that God is doing and something we have to realize is good according to the spirit may not but may not be what seems good to the flesh and that's why it's important for us to walk according to the spirit instead of walking according to the flesh so how do we know this what's the basis that Paul can say that we know that all things work for good let's look at verse 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's the P word in there predestination predestination is one of the great doctrines of the gospel but some people hate it you see we humans we we like to think that we're in control of our own destiny but predestination means that god is in control of our destiny it means that god chose those who would become his children long before we were ever even born and some people hate that idea because they feel that God's deciding the fate of those who haven't even yet been given a chance. In the sci-fi movie, The Minority Report, there's been a revolution in law enforcement. And they can look into the future and observe people's actions that haven't happened yet. And so they can see in the future what looks like somebody getting killed by another person. And so the law enforcement are sent in to execute the perpetrator before they've even done the killing. But it fell down because they could 
only see a person's actions and they couldn't see what was really going on. They, they couldn't tell if it was a true crime or not because they couldn't see the motivation and they couldn't see the heart. But I want you to understand this. God does know the heart. Verse 29 tells us that he foreknew us. Today is the first time that I've ever preached on this passage. It's the first time that I've ever studied it at any great depth. And I used to think that when it said that God foreknew, that that was just a way of saying, well, well God knew what he was going to do ahead of time, right? He, he, he knew what would happen and he knew what he was going to do. But that's not what it means. It's not even what it says. What it tells us is that even before the world was created, God knew you. He knew you. And he knew me. He knew you then even better than what you know yourself now. How well do we ever really know someone? Before a couple get married, they've been courting for a while and then they get engaged and by the time it comes to the wedding, they think they know each other pretty well. But then once you're married, hey, in so many areas you realise how little you really knew that person. When we first got married, we, Robin and I, we lived in a caravan together for 10 months. And let me tell you, when you live in a very close proximity to your new bride or your new husband, uh, you learn a lot about each other in a very short time because in a caravan there's just nowhere to go to get away from the other person. But God did know us. He truly knew us. Before the creation of the world, he knew our heart. He knew how we would be inclined toward love or toward hate. He knew how long we would hold out before our hearts would yield to him. He knew who would be children of hope and who would be children of wrath. He knew whose heart would incline toward faith and whose heart would set hard against him. He knew whose heart would cry out for a saviour and he knew who it was who was going to be so self-confident and so self-righteous that they thought they didn't ever even need a saviour. God doesn't only truly know you now. He truly knew us right from before creation. And with this knowledge, God predestined us. It's sort of like he said, I know you. I choose you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to adopt you as my child. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit in your heart. I'm going to make you just like my son. I can see that without me, you will be filled with sin. But I can deal with that. Jesus will die for you. I will send my son to die for you. And through faith, you will be justified. And it's not going to stop there. I'm going to continue to make you like my son. I'm going to glorify you. I've glorified my son and I'm going to glorify you too. Yes, you will go through suffering for a while. But that suffering will pale into insignificance compared with the riches of the glory that I'm going to give to you. That's predestination. Isn't it wonderful? 
He foreknew us. He predestined us to be changed, to become like his son. He called us. He justified us. He will glorify us. We are so confident that he will bring us through to glory that in the Bible it actually talks about it as if it's actually already happened. It says that he has glorified us. That's the plan. And it began way before it created the world. Sometimes when troubles and hardships come upon us, God's plan is to deliver us from these. And God is glorified in that deliverance. But sometimes his plan is for us to suffer. And God is glorified as we persevere through that suffering. So, if God is for us, who can be against us? If our Heavenly Father has set in motion the process of us being saved, And if he's already made the payment, right? He's already paid for that process with the blood of his own son. Why on earth would he ever desert us now? He's not going to abandon us. He's going to carry it through to completion. And here we find one of the most wonderful assurances. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are super conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, we are super conquerors when we endure in Christ. Not because we're strong, but because the power of God pulls us through. His good and perfect plan will not be abandoned. He chose us, and by his power nothing can separate us from his love in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think we might leave it at that for now and Next week we'll digest it a bit more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing revelation. You knew us even before the creation of the world. And because you knew us, you chose us. Not because we were great and and worthy, but because you wanted to show to us your mercy and your grace. And Lord, you decided to make us like your Son. Thank you, Lord. What a privilege this is. What an honour. Lord, we are weak. Lord, in our weakness, demonstrate your power. When we don't know what to pray, Holy Spirit, please pray on our behalf. Lead us into your will. 
that will which is good and perfect. Father, help us to always trust you because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called called according to your purpose. Lord, lead us into your purposes. Father, we yield ourselves to you because in your hands is the safest place for us to be. We're on the path to glory. Praise be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.